This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. Hello there again, everyone, and welcome in to episode 228 of Film Tank. As per usual, Alex Diekman here with you, along with my regular co-host, Nick Cheney. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> it's good to talk to you, too. Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you for that wonderful introduction. Anytime. The best. Uh, our friend Anna Bodazadu also joining us on this episode. Hello. Hey. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me back virtually. Yeah, well, welcome back in. You uh, joined us for our first COVID-19 episode on Contagion. And mm-hmm. uh, now you have uh, rejoined us. It's great. It it sure is. Um... What a milestone. <laughs> It it's weird not being in the same room as you guys, but I'm glad that modern technology can still allow us to do this. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, who knows if uh, maybe, you know, a few weeks or a month or so we can kind of get back to doing regular things eat within small groups. But. Oh, I'm, I'm never leaving my house. <laughs> Except to go to the liquor store. That's the only thing. Yeah. I'm not going to make them drive. To <laughs> and other house. places of that ilk. <laughs> well, yeah. Houses of ill respute. What was that? What? <laughs> What'd you say? Houses of ill repute. Okay. I don't know, I just keep hearing House, and all I can think of is the show House, which I have been binging an unfortunate amount recently. So, there you go. Uh, that must be a trip to binge, just because the structure of the episodes are so repetitive. Um, that is 100% correct. And <laughs> myself and Emily, over the last uh, three and a half weeks, have probably watched about 40 episodes. Which... That's amazing. It's not. Uh, we're just trying to get to the end at this point. <laughs> it's funny that, you know, they're all repetitive and all that, which they absolutely are or whatever. But I remember when I first started watching House back when I was originally on, um, I caught it after, I think, the first season it aired, maybe the second. But it was early on. And when I was, quote unquote, binging by getting the DVD set and watching it's funny how I was, like, ecstatic that they were all the same episode. Like, I, you know, like, it was like, oh, I got another episode where they do the exact same thing. And 
It's just weird <laughs> what, like, 15 years worth of quote-unquote prestige television can do to you. Yeah, I don't... I, um, I find it, I mean, enjoyable. I think the last... And we don't have to spend much time talking about it. I guess it's kind of off the cuff, but here in the last like 10 episodes of the final season, it seems like they're trying to tie up certain loose ends. I know how the series ends, but um, having characters have some resolution kind of started, you know, with about 10 episodes left. So it's been a little bit different than the usual, you know, oh, this person's bleeding out of their nose. <laughs> yeah. So, although I will say, as uh, someone who's watched lots of episodes in succession, uh, they pretty much go over the same theories every single episode. Like, every single time someone's like, it's lupus or it's sarcoidosis or something like that. Yeah, but there's so. one episode when it was lupus. <laughs> Great. They've mentioned it as a possible, and I think probably 85% of the episodes. So, you know, that's true. I remember that being a joke at the time. Like, that was definitely turned into a meme. And I think they, like, the, they sold shirts with it too. Like, it's never lupus. Official house. That's probably not great for people who actually have lupus. I know. <laughs> totally was. <laughs> who also can't get their medication now because uh, states have hoarded it for being a cure for coronavirus, even though it's not. So that's great. Okay. So we've come full circle uh, back around <laughs> to talking about COVID-19. And uh, now we can talk about the film that we're going to be discussing on this episode and it's interesting and i think um maybe we can hit on this a little bit i guess before we talk about the movie is this is a netflix film as it was always i think planned to be um but something we talked about at the end i was it the the episode that we we did with anna where we talked about movie theaters or was that the episode with brian i can't remember we did talk about uh the episode we did talk about movie theaters when I was on, but maybe you okay. had a conversation with Brian. No, I think it was you. They, they just kind of run together a little bit. I'm sorry. Oh, that, so, no, that, don't apologize. Yeah. So before I guess we talk about that, I saw that a, the Academy is going to allow films that were not released in theaters to be considered this year, uh, as a one-time exception did and you B, read the caveat though. Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, so could I read that? That too? was a headline. I will say. Right, and uh, I well, there was about an, a few hours of a buffer where I realized that there was something else, which is they'll make the exception so long as you are planning to do a theatrical run. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's say we'll we'll skip that one then. Uh, <laughs> The other major news this week uh, was that uh, theaters have said that they will no longer show Universal releases after Universal basically said that going forward, they're going to offer most of their releases video on demand the same time they're released in theater, even after this is over. Uh, and I know that um, I think probably most people have thoughts on this, uh, and I'm sure myself and Nick are included in that group. <laughs> Yeah, I read that, and 
obviously wasn't terribly surprised. I was somewhat confused, though, not necessarily by the economics of it as far as, like, how they can make money. But I also don't think it's as cut and dry as they're making it out to be, which is that... I Do they... It's weird for them to go so gung-ho about it, like, from 0 to 60. I really thought this would have been a more trickle-down effect because I don't think we're quite out of the woods yet when it comes to, like, this could just be a phase. I, I'm not saying that people aren't going to watch movies on demand, you know, same day as the theater, but there's a reason why Trolls World Tour was a huge success, which is a bunch of children were home and parents really needed something to do with them. So I still don't see how it completely equates to a complete overhaul, but maybe that's just me being wishful, but... Yeah, it's uh, certainly not too surprising, a little disheartening, and uh, but mostly just kind of weird. It's just weird to start calling shots for what I would consider to be the after-COVID-19 world before we were even close to that. Yeah, I guess my take on it is that um, these companies are seeing this as the eventual future anyways i think a lot of them had been planning to go in some way this route in the next five years and they feel like oh this is just a perfect way for us to move in this direction i feel like a lot of companies are going to do not obviously who aren't in the film business but are going to say oh maybe we should do more automation because it'll have us uh have less risk uh on our ledger which unfortunately um is the way of this generation um the idea of trying to combat risk um and it's it's kind of a weird place to be and i'm i'm with you like your your already saying what the post covid world is going to look like well, you haven't even sniffed it yet, and yet you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah we're just going to offer these releases uh, and no big deal. And obviously AMC and Regal have already said they won't play their movies in the theater, which seems uh, totally unrealistic. Yeah, but... that was just silly. <laughs> uh, I mean, the other thing, too, is that they're literally – from their own words, basing this off of one movie, like, I, you know, where the, how, you know, there's been, like, at least, I think, maybe seven to ten movies that various companies have released or whatever, so if one movie was destined to be a hit, probably no matter what, I mean, children's entertainment is children's entertainment, how is that a weird signpost for what's to come? That's what I don't get. Well, I'll say this, though. I remember going to see what I thought was the, and I mean it wasn't, but the first theatrical 3D film, which was the animated film Bolt. Um, and again, I don't know if this was the for sure the first, but it was the first time I remember a film having 3D and you having to wear glasses in the theater. And it was advertised and it was a big deal. It was a big success. I mean, it had John Travolta doing the voice of a dog. Um, and it, was a, it was a big success in the theater. And, and then Avatar came. And then everyone was copying and doing 3D. And 
over long enough time, they figured out people didn't care enough to pay the extra five dollars to go see that. Yeah. Um, and it's been pretty much removed from the theater experience. I mean, some films have it, but like two years ago, three years ago, it was every movie that was coming out had some form of 3D and it's basically been eradicated. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of funny because now in the last two years or so, I don't remember what movies I've seen in 3D because if I did, yeah. it's just like, oh, this happens to be a 3D showtime. Um, which... Yeah, and I kind of feel like that's the way this is going to go in, in some sense because at, at the end of the day, I personally would rather go down to the movie theater and not buy any popcorn and pop one time, buy a you know, $10 ticket and pay $20 to watch it on a much smaller screen. It's just, you know, that's my personal. So it I it is still that kind of like IMAX ticket price or um, you know, 3D ticket price with far less superior quality. <laughs> I do still think that theaters need to go out of their way to make it a better experience for the viewer. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of things, whether it be change in food or alcoholic beverages or recliner seats. Um, I think they need to go even further with that. Um, I know something I've been a big proponent of over the years is either completely getting rid of or majorly decreasing uh, trailers beforehand. But like some theaters have like 30 minutes of trailers beforehand. And like with the internet, we just don't need that. Like you don't need to go to the movie to see the Phantom Menace preview. Like you can watch that at home the day it comes out. Um, and I, I get it that they're trying to get people who are not crazy film people like us to be interested in upcoming films at their theater, but it's a real turnoff for me at least. And anything that's a turnoff for any viewer, I feel like should be considered as something that needs to be changed. I'd agree with that in moderation. Like, I feel like I hit my limit after the first two trailers. Like, I genuinely get in the spirit of things when I go see a movie in the sense that, like, the first trailer, maybe the second one, I'm like, yeah, this is the theater experience. But I agree in that I can't really name a single theater that hasn't uh, kind of slided into oblivion when it comes to the pre-show advertising. Um, yeah. Yep. And you got any thoughts here? <laughs> Sorry, we're yeah. just kind of taking this over. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Um, yes, I too saw the headline um, about AMC's decision and it made me scratch my head because I don't see VOD completely taking over the movie-going experience. And, I mean, box office dollars are... So incredibly important. And when you guys were talking about 3D, um, I was trying to think back to the last time I saw a movie in 3D, and it was um, Star Wars The Force Awakens, because um, the theater that we were in was not 3D, and then the film wasn't working, and so we had a choice to wait for that uh, wait for that movie to start or go to the next available showing, which was 3D. So reluctantly, reluctantly we went to the 3D one, which is not what we wanted to do, but we did anyway. Um, so that was what, almost five years ago. And granted, like 
many movies still come out in 3D, but because of aside from that one time, I hadn't seen one in a while. And frankly, I don't prefer to watch films that way. But I mean, it's still there. So possibly in the future, it'll be like, I think theaters will definitely still be there. I feel like they're too much of a moneymaker for a billion dollar industry just to completely go away. But if studios choose to push VOD, then I guess that's on them. But I just find it odd if they would release a movie one weekend and then at the same time do VOD. But as you also mentioned, like raise the price on VOD because people are not going to the theater. I don't know. I just, I feel like people like you guys and myself and many others like going to the theater. Like that's part of the experience. I like you know, the good sound system and the great resolution and, you know, even IMAX is there too. I just don't see VOD taking up, taking off as much as these studios predicted just because of trolls and they were an opportunistic about it. You know, what might be something that I feel like could at least work for the next decade, I don't know, is the idea of both of these mediums coexisting with the same availability like i feel like you could because i think that that might be something that studios look at and say we're we're missing people because they don't want to come to the movie theater by not having it available to them they just want to be home they don't want to leave they, they've built this home theater of their own in their living room or their basement uh, and they're not going to the theater they're just going to wait the five months why not get ahead of that I mean, I feel like um, if if you're and I mean, as someone who loves going to the theater as much as I do, I hate to say this, but what's the harm in doing both? Like, is is there is there anything holding anyone against that? This idea of you could either watch it at home or go to the theater. I mean, it's I guess it, it hurts like... the theaters. It hurts the theaters. Yeah, it hurts the people who operate them. Um, uh, and obviously they don't want that, but um, tell that to Kodak who weren't able to adapt and are now pretty much irrelevant. Oh no, Christopher Nolan's still using them. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Uh, it seems like Universal is actually leaning towards that because they released another statement today in response to you know the statement from the theater chain owners saying that they envisioned the VOD to be what they call complementary to a theatrical experience which you know is I think overall is a good sentiment I just think there's probably a delicate way to do this and to fold it into the ongoing theater experience i mean personally i think vod should be moving forward should be treated the same way we have like um how movies can open up wide or have limited openings so i think yeah the theater should be able to have it for a week or two and then it drops like i don't see how waiting a week or two before putting it on VOD is all that bad for Universal because they're going to reap in all the people who have to see it first and then they're going to get everybody else if not probably the same people who's already seen it I mean you know you talk about something like Star Wars and 
the people who go see that thing like 10 times every time a new one comes out, you're telling me they're not gonna like rent it at 10 o'clock at night when they're thinking about a moment that happened in the movie and they have to see if what they thought was correct, you know? So I don't know. Like, I, I think a little tiny buffer could work. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you that that sounds like a much more, and I, th- I think probably that's where they probably end up at some point. Um, but there are a lot of theater chains out there and a lot, lot of people out there who, uh, want nothing to do with that. And, um, kind of like I was mentioning a minute ago with Kodak, like you don't want to be in the music industry. Like you don't want your whole existence to get folded in uh, by your lack of embracing new technology. Well, the other thing then is a weird side effect that could happen in the wake of this is there's a possibility that if this really took off, you know, why don't theaters bring back a more robust indie offering? You know, I'm not saying convert half their screens or anything like that, but I feel like they're just getting worse and worse about reaching out. Like, unless it's got Fox Searchlight on the front of it, um, they are really hesitant to, you know, reach out and... Uh, purchase rights and whatnot, but this could be the time because they'll be the only one that's probably showing it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you, but I feel like that takes effort. (laughs) They just they just they just want to have the new release and that's it. They're just in a better position to do it right now because a lot of theaters are cutting down on how many of their seat capacity. You know, as far as because now that they moved back or not back, but two leather recliners and whatnot, most people or most theaters lost like a good chunk of ticket sales right there, just based on how many people you can fit into a, uh, you know, into a theater. So I don't. Which know which is okay because they weren't getting them back anyways. Yeah. So, but that's why I think I'm. You know, yeah. If you did an indie movie and you only got. 12 out of your 20 seats, I don't think that's as crazy as, uh, you know, whatever. So, I don't know. Well, it's certainly better than getting zero out of your 20 seats, yeah. um, which is what a lot of new releases get because a lot of them are terrible. Um, and who knows if Trolls World Tour would have done the same in the theater. I mean, that's the... That's the weird part about this is that it's such a uncharted territory for mostly everybody. Um, and uh, obviously movie companies are only looking at the profits. So there it yeah. is. The other weird thing is movie theaters in general just kind of like hate the internet. Like they still haven't truly figured out an actual seamless system for showtimes yet on the internet. Like, you would think that that would be down to a T now in the year 2020, but you either have problems with buying tickets, uh, or you have problems with listing showtimes that don't exist, or you have problems with the fact that you're checking the showtimes of the theater on a third-party repository site, because you wouldn't think it would be that hard to upload a number to a server, um, and it's wrong. (laughs) 
So it seems like this is certainly their MO, and they might not follow through like they should. Well, uh, I think they'll have to at the end of the day. There, there won't be any any options like um was it who sent it to us was it was it brian who sent something about someone put it or maybe i just saw it somewhere else that (laughs) if all the other companies followed suit that the theaters would have no choice but to just deal with this which i think is ultimately what it's going to end up being because this idea of strong arming companies who are just looking to uh create their most profits in the next five to 10 years. Um, if they see it as you're not the answer, then you're not going to be the answer. So I feel like trying to be more, um, I don't know, I guess trying to look outside the box a little more is, uh, the only way they're going to be able to go. So we'll see. Every movie theater chain right now is like looking at the studios as if they're Joe Pesci and the Irishman and they're Al Pacino and they're just like they would never yeah they would they would that's okay that's a good movie have you seen that yet Anna no um I think I have to dive into it on my own because um my boyfriend, who I've mentioned on here before, Tim, does not want to watch it and had no interest in it. So I think I just have to take a jump in on my own. Um, but I would like to. So yep. did you guys like it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Um, going back to what Nick said really quick before we wrap up this part yeah. of it. Um, I definitely agree with VOD becoming like supplementary to the movie going experience. It's just, I I don't know what I got from somewhere or maybe it was just my mind heading in that direction, but I don't think VOD will be nearly as popular as going to the theater. But I mean, some people just don't like going to the theater or simply like for whatever reason can't go in a theater to watch a film. Um, especially a new release. So, um, yeah, we'll see what the future holds because this is a huge paradigm shift for such a popular industry. And I personally would hate for uh, any negative repercussions to happen to affect, I guess, me personally as an audience member. So, um, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Um, But, yeah, it's very bizarre. I'm definitely going to... I'm definitely going to pay the $20 to watch that Josh Trank El Capone movie. So there it is. I knew it. <laughs> we'll see about all that. Any... Uh, really quickly, I, I still haven't done uh, a single one yet. I mean, any... uh, I haven't either. I mean, I haven't either. I remember thinking, oh, maybe the hunt. But then the moment it dropped, I was like, 20 bucks? Yeah. It's funny because Emily really wanted to watch the Anya Taylor-Joy uh, movie, Emma. The, yeah. I mean, it's a story that's been done, but she wanted to see it. And it yeah, did look, if. I thought, uh-huh. it did look pretty good, uh, I thought, at least from the trailer. Yeah. Uh, and we sat down intending to watch it, and I pulled it up, and she said, $20, we don't need to pay that. And I was like, oh, okay. So, there you go. Yeah. Not- true about you guys just mean <laughs> yeah just in general yeah 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you though. If like the new Mission Impossible came out, I'd probably pay to see it. Yeah. If it wasn't in Yeah. It's like I'm not not gonna do it if I already know ahead of time that I am invested, but other than that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, uh, a movie that, other than the subscription, nobody had to pay for uh, was the new Chris Hemsworth film, Extraction, which dropped on Netflix last week. Uh, This film uh, stars, other than Chris Hemsworth, I am going to destroy these two names, and I am really sorry about that. Um, Oh, God. Um, Gulsif Farhani and... Rudikesh Joysal. Those are probably wrong, but those are the other two main characters in the film. Also, David Harbour randomly makes an appearance as he's now owned by Netflix. Uh, the <laughs> film point. was. You forgot Randy Puda. I'm sorry. But now no one has forgotten him. So there you go. I, I only know him because he's in a movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's in um, the movie uh, Monsoon Wedding, which I've seen because Sarah, my friend, made me watch it like a year ago. And it was quite good. It was an uh, Indian film as a domestic family drama. Anyway. Now, is he the guy who plays the other person who's looking for um, Ovi or not? Yeah. Like the dude who is double crossing him and then he's not. Yes. 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 Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film. The film's directed by Sam Hargrave, who's mostly done stunt work uh, throughout other Russo brothers' films, um, but he is the director of this film, and the screenplay of this was writ- written by one of the Russo brothers, Joe Russo, and that uh, was very much used in the um in trying to get people to watch this as a lot of the promotional material had the russo brothers name all over it and also tried to use the avengers series which was um really pretty pretty shameless so extraction uh surrounds tyler rake which in addition to being a fabulous name, he is also a fearless black market mercenary who embarks on a most deadly extraction of, or the most deadly extraction of his career when he's enlisted to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned international crime lord. So I guess I'll start because I'm the one who very much forced this film upon everybody. And mostly because, A, I thought this looked like fun. And B, um, there are not a lot of new films happening right now unless you want to pay for for video on demand. And even then, there's not a lot of new films happening anyway. So, pardon me. I was excited for this uh, and looked forward to watching it over last weekend. And I will say that even though this is not very good, uh, not very great, I guess, um, I thought this was enjoyable. I don't think it's amazing. I don't think it's a film I'll rewatch countless times. Maybe I'll see it again years down the road. Um, but this pretty much delivered what I wanted. It was a action film uh, that had a bit of a story. And even though the story was a bit dull, I thought the action, for the most part, took care of the job that I needed, where it was um, exciting and somewhat unique even though it's not 
super unique. It's not the most original action sequences I've ever seen, uh, but it's not a complete John Wick ripoff, which I was concerned this was going to be from the trailer, and I don't really think it ended up being. I think this ended up being um, somewhere between something like Atomic Blonde and John Wick and somewhere else in another universe, like that Stone Cold Steve Austin movie that Nick maybe watched a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, the Condemned? Yes. That movie's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but but I, people are coming here to see the action, right? At least uh, for me, that's what you're coming here to see. Like the story. I hope so. <laughs> the the story here is uh, for me extremely inconsequential, inconsequential, uh, and there are a couple moments that I thought actually were okay. Um, some of the early on moments with Chris Hemsworth are are decent. But for the most part, the story is pretty mediocre to bad. Uh, I thought almost every action sequence in this was pretty damn good. Uh, and that's what I was here for. So even though it's not great, and even though a lot of the storylines and the drama here is forgettable, uh, I will say seeing some guy get kicked through a wall and then get killed by his face getting slammed into a table um, it was pretty awesome. And there were all kinds of moments like that. Also, too, I really appreciate any home that has a pitchfork in it that a guy can get slammed into. Tw- two different people can get killed, being impaled into, um, especially after it's broken and then used again to have a guy's face impaled on it. Um, I, I personally appreciate that in a pretty hard R Netflix release. So I was a fan I thought the action sequences were quite good. And for a Netflix home release that I had uh, hopes for, but didn't think was going to be very good. I thought this at least delivered on what I hoped it would be. So that's my initial thoughts and whoever wants to go next can take it away. I'll go next. Um, so um, I thought this, film was good i was pleasantly surprised um this definitely isn't a movie i would go for on first glance um i feel like this is a movie i would end up watching on tv if it was rerun quite a few months after its release um and then at first it gave me vibes of the least interesting stories on snap judgment that take place in foreign countries where people are in various types of turmoil where they have to like escape um like some uh, criminal group that where they've been kidnapped um but i mean i did like it um i thought chris hemsworth did a good job um i liked the appearance from david harbour i thought he was good um though i think he's one of those actors that's like cursed with playing himself um I liked all the moments where the characters get um, humanized. Um, I thought all the action sequences were cool. Um, I've been playing a lot of... (laughs) Only Toussaint was here. I feel like he would appreciate this. I've been playing a lot of Uncharted. So, like, when they were doing the fighting scenes with, like, hand-to-hand combat, that, like, reminded me of what I've seen in the game. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I was just... (laughs) I'm just, like... 
I recognized those. Um, so I thought that was super cool. Uh, thank you, Nick. Um, and even though this movie, for the most part, had that heavy yellow filter on it, which um, isn't very easy on the eyes, um, I did think this was well done. Um, and I kind of liked how everything wrapped up and the setup was pretty clear. And we got to go along for the ride. So, yeah, those are my opening thoughts. Right on. All right, here we go. Um... I thought this was okay. Um, I certainly appreciated some of the action sequences. It's not like it's not well choreographed at times and whatnot. Um, but it definitely lost some steam in the second hour for me. Um, I think that's what held me back from truly giving it a pass. Because I, for the most part, for the first hour, I was able to just kind of go with the flow. But it just got a little too monotonous to me where all the action started to become a little samey. And um, the drama itself wasn't really captivating for my taste, so I couldn't really lean on that. And there's another thing that happens that I'm conflicted about because I find myself siding with one of the characters' villains, which means I don't think that they wrote the drama <laughs> uh, nuanced enough, which is by the time David Harbour shows up, I was like, yeah, you're right, bud. You sh like, <laughs> what other way is there out of this? Because nothing about that ending makes any sense to me. Like, I know they get out of the city, but he's just free to live his life now i he is i don't know I, I didn't quite get that to be completely honest um can we um just i will say because i did rewind back and watch it so who is that supposed to be at the end when he jumps into the pool is oh, it implied that that's chris hemsworth absolutely yes yeah it's supposed to be implied I mean, that it's not them. that if you pause it and see it's not actually uh, i did but i just meant i don't think it's I think it's the double, but I believe it is yeah. explicitly implicit. <laughs> uh, okay, but that that dude died. Did he? <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, the water. <laughs> sure. I mean, when you see that body hit the water and it's like a Jaws level of blood coming from it. Okay. Not the decoy. <laughs> Listen, you think Tyler Riggs is going to go into a situation without some kind of, you know, back entrance exit? Mm -mm -mm. That is the best movie name I've heard since Reynolds Woodcock, I think. It's pretty so good. The thing about the movie name is that then he killed the dude with a rake. <laughs> and then I'm like... Okay, that in and of itself is not bad, but the rest of the movie lacks this effort of self-awareness. So it's like the joke itself was just kind of stupid because, I don't know. I, I think that's where I ultimately fell on this, which is that if it was more campy, I probably would have thought this was like a great ride. Uh, but because it is in, insistent that you take it seriously... Um, I found myself slightly at odds with it throughout. I will say, the first hour, though, there were a lot of decent action scenes that, even though I thought there was some 
on weird digital shoddy work when it came to some of the like exterior shots like when he's in the car and whatnot and they have to do the seamless wonder to get into the car and out of the car um like that stuff is technically impressive but also if you don't have the budget to really make it look seamless i'd rather you just cut and edit it like a normal movie um but the fight choreography was mostly pretty good so i enjoyed it um and obviously there's not much else to it so obviously i enjoyed that part of it um i just kind of wish it had a bit more self-awareness and um justice for david harbour's character Justice for David Harbour's character. Hell yeah. Gaspar. Yeah? Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> no, but I actually thought that was emotionally the best scene in the whole movie. Like, I didn't really care about the kid's journey or uh, Tyler's, you know, I don't know, determination so much as I cared when they offered up the... Uh, interestingly complex uh, detail. Well, David Harbour's character is kind of difficult because he's not really wanting to do that out of good intentions. He's wanting to make this happen because he wants to get paid, uh, which I guess is the whole point for Chris Hemsworth character because he's a mercenary i was gonna say but this, he, literally this has been his entire life so if anybody is chris hemsworth who's acting out of character we just don't get to see that history it's true but before he goes off and i guess it's tough because we don't really see when exactly david harbour's character makes this deal um we i we don't do we know if it's before he goes and picks him up or if it's when he leaves for the first time and then comes back i feel like that is somewhat important for the idea of david harbour having just good intentions or if he's literally just seeing an easy target and trying to take advantage because i feel like in a way that's kind of not great because he picks up chris hemsworth and he clearly is telling him his intentions of not, I think he's telling him he's not wanting necessarily to just go all the way in whatever way it has to be to get paid. He's actually caring about the child before um, he leaves for the first time. So it's kind of a tough call. I think my reading at least was that he definitely stepped away and made the call the moment uh, Chris Hemsworth goes upstairs to check on the boy. I took it as that yeah. too, Nick. Yeah. 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 I don't know. So I, I feel like that's kind of a betrayal at that point. But I'm, I'm with you that it doesn't really matter because these people have done that for their entire careers probably. So why is yeah. it different now? Well, and the, the people besides the kid, and I'm not advocating that the kid is any way complicit in any of the crimes that are committed by his father or anything like that. But if we take him off the board, every single person involved in this movie is technically a criminal or a bad person, if not both. And at, a, at the end of the day, like, uh, I, you know, like, what is it about the ending that suggests this is over? Like, they got out of the city, but 
they were able to kidnap him out of the city, so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it probably isn't. He's probably going to be doing this forever. So. It would have been at least a little more, I don't know, uh, structured if, like, for some reason that kid had to be in that city for, like, a field trip or something around. You know, just like, oh, this is their one chance. And, you know, like, uh, you know, at least make an effort to try to differentiate uh, the rules here. Um, I guess they do state that the guy who was the leader of the outfit that kidnapped him gets murdered uh, at the urinal, which is obviously where you want to go. That scene was also uh, quietly great, mostly because um, um, I can't remember her character's name. Uh, Her dress pulls the blood uh, when she's walking away from him, which was fantastic. So that was kind of a random part of the movie, but I loved it. I I thought that was a really great scene too because i was in awe at her dress i was just like that is definitely a dress that you wear to like a fancy like five-star place where they are in india and it was just like it was so perfect like i but really liked that scene too it's easy to use at a urinal too you just look it up. <laughs> but it also it i i totally agree with you Anna, that it was uh, for a netflix film too it was a really well done costuming but it also very much served its purpose of dragging his blood away from the scene i thought it was fantastic absolutely um now that you bring that up and like it's going through my mind just a little bit more um i feel like certain netflix productions you can tell it has a certain feel to it and i think this is one of those films where had it had a different method of distribution. Like if this was in the theater, I wouldn't, um, I would just take it as it was like this. What I'm trying to say is that this film didn't feel like a Netflix film, but also I haven't seen many Netflix originals that are in like the action category. So, um, I just thought that was neat about this. So for the most part, Netflix produced films have been terrible in my opinion. I mean, I've, (laughs) I haven't seen a lot of them, I guess, but I've seen my fair share. And um, I mean, The Irishman, I don't really consider that a Netflix film because they just took the money on that. But um, like Bright and Hold the Dark. uh, I did not think Bright. I did not think Bright was good. Yeah. I think that they're making progress. But for the most part, if I see a Netflix original film production, I'm automatically skeptical. So there's still that stigma, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can think of like four movies that I thought were like out of Netflix's league, but those were all made by like genuine, you know, master so to speak whether it's the irishman uh the cohen brothers ballad of buster scruggs or noah Baumbach's marriage story uh or soderbergh's high flying bird but anyway but like everything else has always reeked of like uh you know if we put this on it's another movie to pad out our resume and i think extraction was ultimately that even if i thought it was more enjoyable than some of the movies i've seen uh on netflix which isn't saying much but um, all, all the movies you mentioned there too have all come out in the last 
16 to 18 months too. Like that they're, they're clearly aware that their original content is not good yet. Um, so they are just buying these names and these films um, to, you know, push them forward, which I think is for the most part working. Yeah, you know, it's really sad because I'm looking right now at my list. I have a ranked list of Netflix movies that I've seen, and I've seen 30 of them, which is kind of crazy. Um, and yet, one, two, three, four, five of them I've given a half star to, like the lowest rating. How many of those have Adam Sandler in them? Uh, one. <laughs> the other one. Sandy Wexler? Yeah. Uh, the other one, you know, I mean, The Cloverfield Paradox, uh, Bright, I thought was awful, The Babysitter, I thought was awful, and that Paul Rudd movie, uh, The Fundamentals of Caring, which really wasn't a Netflix production, they just bought it from Sundance, but still, counting it. But, uh... uh Cloverfield Paradox might be one of the biggest disappointments ever, mostly because it had everything going from the Super Bowl commercial, then getting dropped the next day. Uh, and that was just a huge turd. Yeah, I would agree. Which is a disappointment because that was a movie I was looking forward to. But and and I'm saying that because I had been meaning to watch it and just haven't yet. But it sucks that you guys didn't like it. Ten Cloverfield Lane is also terrible. Hey. So there's that for you. No, it's not. It was not good. Eh, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I was the I was the outlier on that one for sure. Um, <laughs> what was I gonna say? I, you know, I think there were just so many little moments where, like, a second pass at this script could have actually made this a much more memorable movie. And I'm not saying like radically change characters and whatnot, but like really think about why you include something in a script uh, before you do. For example. This is one of the few times where I'll say, like, I'm a better writer than the person who wrote this movie because even like <laughs> shitty movies. Sorry, that, that was that was great. Well, that was awesome. <laughs> even like shitty movies, I'm like, you know what? I still can never write, you know, like what they're doing, even if it's like whatever. But like in this movie, you have a scene in which Avi. Um, Chris Hemsworth asks him, what's he doing? And when they're in the car and he says, oh, I play the piano when I'm nervous. And you see his fingers kind of, you know, play the piano. Okay. Um, two things. One, we are never really given any other context of him playing the piano. So that's kind of weird. He seems like he spends his days going to the club or on the swim team after he gets courage from his buddy Rake. Um, but okay. <laughs> Here's the other thing. If you're going to do that, like, you're going to go out of your way, that doesn't count as character development because just putting a post-it note on your character's forehead as to who they are does not make a character. But here's the way you could have actually made that at least aesthetically interesting where I thought from that moment that at some point during this movie, 
Chris Hemsworth was going to essentially tell him to play the piano to quote-unquote block out something that he was going to have to do to some bad guys. And maybe they could have actually put up a Beethoven piece on the soundtrack just to make it even more pretentious. And I say that in a good way. Like, there's so many things they could have did with that, but instead it's a literal throwaway line. That's all I was going to say. So it's funny that you mentioned that as something that like doesn't technically count as character development because there was a moment that I thought was, well, I think the way that Tyler is characterized just kind of like confused me, so to speak. So like in the beginning of the film, when the woman, uh, comes to his house to recruit him for this job we see that clearly he has an addiction to painkillers but it's not made clear to the audience like exactly what caused his addiction um and then at one point he mentions to david harbour harbour's character it's because he has just random pains all throughout his body like over the years so he just is addicted to oxy um and then the pains in his heart Oh my god. Okay. Um, and then, shortly afterward, Tyler goes to check on the boy. Um, and then the boy starts just poking him about who he is as a person. Um, and then Tyler talks about his son who died from lymphoma. Lymphoma, excuse me. And I was like, that is super duper random, but... I mean, okay. I mean, I guess we have something there. So I just thought that was oddly placed and oddly timed, too. But, I mean, how else would we know? It's not like there is any other opportunity to make small talk um, in this film. So um, I think it's maybe... I I, I probably was over-reading this, but... um, when Tyler was getting recruited, I kind of sensed that those those two characters had a history with each other at one point. Maybe it's because they had worked on previous jobs together, or maybe they had, like, a personal relationship. Um, and I would have liked to see, like, more of that, because we had seen that uh, established from that scene. Um, but then it just became, like, a work relationship from there, and them just, like, working to survive and get the job done. So um, there were some... I. Bouncing off of what you said, the moments of characterization here just kind of perplexed me. Um, So I thought that was kind of odd. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's quite a bit of that throughout the entirety of this film, though, that are just odd moments that really, uh, I don't want to say they don't make sense, but kind of to unfortunately go with what Nick was saying, like, it's pretty, pretty basic uh, pretty, you know, first draft type uh, of a story. And I feel like I, I go back to my original sentiment where I feel like that's what A, the studio, and A, Joe Russo, the writer, pretty much said as the story is not the star of this film. Um, and it's too bad because I feel like that is unfortunately what happens in so many Hollywood productions right now where you could have a really, really great film on your hands 
if you have both a really good story and really kick-ass action um and even going a little bit of the extra mile like the first john wick even though that action's been ripped off so many times at this point like that story is not great but it's good enough to the point where that film is interesting enough to keep your attention it's unique enough to keep your attention and the action is great enough to push it to a totally different level where it takes a overly a mediocre film and turns it into a really good film um so not to mention the first 10 minutes go out of a way to actually set a foundation for who john wick is and why he's the person he is at that moment yeah i mean so, you know, like even this movie doesn't really have that we get to see him chill with two random aussies that we'll never see again and then we're told everything we need to know about him because he will jump off cliffs when no normal men will not well because he's an alpha male of course yeah that or he's just drunk <laughs> it's probably the second Although I do think that this film, uh, and I think this film I'm going to mention, uh, does it in a much better way. Uh, but unfortunately, I think that this film does something that The Way Back uh, does as well, where it wants to have its storyline be a reveal later on, unfortunately, uh, which in, in this film is obviously way too little too late because I feel like it's just forced in as an excuse for why this is happening instead of an actual character development point. So, Oh yeah. Well, when you look at a movie like the way back and it's when you get the reveal of the full picture, it's also you're getting revealed as to how much is going unsaid and with who and at what times. Whereas here, when the reveal is happening, there's literally no reason, like, why it's being said when it's said, other than if they don't do it then, they won't have time to do it before the finale is over. Yep. Uh, so what What about the, um, the guy I mentioned earlier? Um, Nick, I think you mentioned the actor's name, uh, and I don't remember the character's name off the top of my head. Characters but there's a lot... Okay, there's a lot going on with that guy because, A, at first he's obviously uh, a main person who's trusted. He's very well put together. Uh, we see that he has a family. Then he becomes the villain who is hunting on f foot. Uh, clearly he's he's the villain for an entire 30-minute sequence. Uh, and then he ends up being a trusted ally uh, at the end of this film to the point where they are communicating via radio uh, during the climactic scene. I feel like that character, although we do get a little bit about his background, which is really weak uh, and doesn't offer anything in terms of his family's relationship and uh, a connection with him. But that guy goes through so much and yet he's only in the film for about 20 minutes. Um, with it, it kind of going off of what you guys are talking about, like, like I feel like that character has more development without what's said, and yet it also 
at the same time doesn't really matter because it feels like feels like to me it's just kind of there to serve the purpose of the current scene that he's in and it felt really weird to me I'd agree uh i by the time he does his role reversal um actually you know what back up by the time it's revealed that it's him you know that he's the one in the mask uh going around i don't know that the movie ever makes it explicitly clear why he had to do it he says he had to because they were going to kill his son but i'm pretty sure he could get money he looked pretty well off so i'm glad i'm not the only one that got that impression from the film too because on his end on saju's end if he didn't rescue the boy the dad threatens to kill his family but then I'm pretty sure Tyler and his detail were hired by the same guy. Unless I totally missed that. They were. He hired Tyler to do it. But apparently he, according to him, doesn't have the money to pay Tyler and his team. That's what I got at least. Oh, okay. No, that makes sense. Why he doesn't have the money, I don't quite buy. But... Essentially, he just wants him to do it for free and tricks him into doing it. Now, why he then essentially goes full out guns a-blazing against (laughs) Tyler Rake doesn't quite make any sense. Because what... You would think he's aware of who that is, right? Yeah. Like he would think he, he's on the same side? He, I, I guess what I think he thought the original plan would be is, hey, I hire Tyler, Tyler steals the kid, then if Tyler makes it back to, you know, safety, then there's no way that, you know, I'll get the kid back without paying the money. But here's the other thing. I know he's like a criminal drug lord, but I also don't get the impression that the criminal drug lord deadbeat dad couldn't pay for the kid. Like, all he wants is the kid back. So, I, I don't know. That's just... Yeah, the story here is a bit sketchy. It's just weirdly <laughs> convoluted because yeah. there's already an, an inherent conflict in a kidnapping and a guy being hired to get the kid back. Like, that's that's it. That's drama. That's all you need. We, have, we, we haven't even gotten to uh what i thought was the worst storyline of this whole film uh which was the kid who was randomly picked off the street who the guy has to cut his fingers off he then cut one of his fingers off and he said oh i didn't want you to do that uh and then of course he ends up at the end being the one who shoots tyler through the face even though it doesn't really matter because i guess he survives and hangs out at pools watching indian children um anyways that whole storyline was so poorly written, I thought. And also, every part of it was so silly and sensical, except for the part where he got a car door opened on him and then he went flipping into the air, which I thought looked cool. But other than that, that whole storyline was, uh, I thought, pretty mind-numbing. The problem with... Oh, what were you going to say, Anna? I was just going to say, the storyline with the kids I thought was odd, too, because it just, like... 
when we're introduced to the group of kids where that one child ends up kind of being the focal point, it's not made super duper clear, like, why it's those kids that are accused of stealing the money and, like, how they would even be doing it. And I don't know. I thought it was odd as well. So I agree with you, Alex. So go ahead, Nick. Oh, I was just going to say that the problem with the storyline regarding all the children, including the main one, is that anybody who's been around the block has seen the movie City of God, the Brazilian film that uh, is very well acclaimed, and that movie pretty much put the moratorium on ever having to have another movie on children play-acting as gangsters. Like, that's a great movie. It does what it needs to do, and it uses the children effectively, not exploitatively. And here, someone tried to make City of God in the span of five minutes and thought it would work, and it, and it absolutely doesn't. Um, to the point where I was actually, I don't, <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't actually offended in the sense that I give a shit, but I, in a way, I'm more offended by a movie like this that thinks that it's quote-unquote evil to throw a child off a building than I am from an actual exploitation film that knows it's trash and is trying to be sleazy and get a reaction and provoke the audience. That whole scene with the rooftop just felt grossly unnecessary because the writing itself was lacking, so they thought if they threw that in, it would set the stakes for it. Well, yeah, I mean, that was unfortunately character development for our villain who gets murdered at the urinal later on. Um, It's not even him. it's, I mean, just saying, like, the one act of, you know, having, but I don't know. I, I fixate on that child getting thrown off the roof because I just thought... Yeah, but he's really the dumb. one who's, who's the, he's a, he's the leader of that group yeah. who's on the roof during that. So, I mean, I know he's not the one who physically does it, but... but you know, that other guy has to go home to his wife, and she's going to be like, hey, how was your day? He's like, it's fine. Do you want to talk about it? He's like, well, you know, my boss, he's just been riding my ass. Like, oh, like, yeah, he made me throw a kid off the roof. She'd be like, what the fuck? Did he put a gun to your head? Well, no, but like, he like strongly suggested it. Oh my God, should we like call somebody? No, no, no. Like, I, I mean, I, I agreed to it. It just, it just really sucks. And I, I. I think we should make love tonight. And then she's off at her mom's that night and she's never coming back home. And I don't know. I guess I'd watch that movie. What are you going to do? Troll me off the roof? (laughs) Come on. I left you wide open there. Oh, I'm sorry. I never think about the line that precedes the line. I only think about the actual line. Damn it. Which is... Well, I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> and uh, if you have not seen Ocean's 13 15 times, you probably don't know what we're talking about, so sorry about that. I've seen Ocean's 13 at least a couple times, and I definitely don't remember that, so okay. you guys me. <laughs> From the beginning, when uh, Elliot Gould uh, is getting swindled by Al Pacino. So there you go. 
Very cool. I did love those movies. So mm. great movies. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, do you guys want to go to final ratings? Yeah. Let's sure. uh, let's extract okay. some ratings. Let's extract some ratings, you guys. Very good. Nick, why don't you go ahead and go first? All right. I give it two and a half out of five. I know it probably sounded like I hated it, which I didn't. I just, uh, more just annoyed that it couldn't really be bothered to study for the test. You know, just because it passes doesn't mean that you can't be disappointed in your child. So, two and a half out of five. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> Um, I'll go next. Um, so, Take it away. So, <laughs> oh my god. Um, well, surprisingly, I gave this a three because um, even though this isn't a movie I would go out of my way to watch, I still think um, that it was entertaining and it got us uh, from point A to point B and the action sequences were super duper cool and I thought there were some cinematically some shots that I thought were really neat and definitely like kept me excited and on the edge of my chair, um, not my seat because I did not watch this in theaters. Um, so also this movie uh, gave me some moments where I actually had to cover my eyes um, and I don't do that too often, but um, I did have to do it this time when uh, Tyler, as previously mentioned by Alex, um, was shoving someone's face in a rake on the floor during one of those fight scenes. Um, and then also when Suji had to re-break his nose back into place, I definitely squirmed at those. Um, but yeah, I thought this was hard-hitting in the places where it should have been. Um I think the visuals and the actions just kind of made up for everything else for me. So, yeah, a uh, solid three out of five for me. I will agree with Anna uh, and give it a three out of five. I thought this was a pretty solid movie. And even though the uh, drama was lacking uh, and the storyline had some unfortunate choices here, I thought the action brought this through and it was different enough from a lot of the fare that we've been seeing over the last five years or so in action films. Um, but it kept me interested throughout, uh, the way that the helicopter exploded, the way that I still keep going back to the way that that guy hit his face on that table when he got kicked through the wall. Um, that was awesome. And there were quite a few moments like that. Uh, the awesome car chase scene throughout here, which was okay, but, also pretty great uh and just the way that the the uh, guy getting hit and flying into the uh market or wherever he goes uh there were plenty of moments like that throughout this film that made up for any story beats that weren't as good and there were some dramatic moments that were very solid especially like i mentioned uh the uh, antagonist getting murdered towards the end and some other moments that were also decent. So three out of five for me for extraction. Um, I'm probably a little more lenient towards this because I haven't been able to see any new releases for the last seven weeks. And I haven't left the house in a long time other than to go to the grocery store. Uh, but at the same time, um, it was definitely welcome to see a new film and also one that 
offer at least some exciting action. If you out there have any thoughts on the movie Extraction, you can always send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com and also look for us on Facebook or Twitter at Film Tank Show. You can also find all of our episodes on filmtankshow.com or also on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify um, or a lot of other places where you can find podcasts. Just look for us at Film Tank Show. Coming up on our next episode, Anna is going to be back, which we're, I think, as per usual, very excited about. But also we're excited about <laughs> talking about uh, a film from um, seven years ago now from the most recent Best Picture and Best Director winner, Bong Joon-ho, uh, as his English-language film Snowpiercer uh, is going to be the subject of our next episode. Anna decided that this was a film that she wanted to talk about. And have you still not watched it, or have you have you watched it since then? Um, I am trying so hard to get to it, but I promise it will be viewed, and I am so excited. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope you watch it before our episode. That would be super helpful. (laughs) But um, we talked about it briefly a couple weeks ago. Maybe we were just texting about it, but I was wrong. This is not the first film we, uh, myself, Nick and Toussaint saw in the theater. It was actually like the fourth or fifth, which uh, it's bad on me, but we did go and see this uh, during its initial run. And it was a very enjoyable experience. And I'm sure you will enjoy watching it as this is uh, an interesting movie. (laughs) I am so excited. And Speaking of, I would like to ask you guys, what was the first film you saw as a group together in theaters? Nick said it. Was it the Cornetto trilogy or not? Yeah, that was the first time the three of us were in a theater together. So if you're talking anything, it would be yeah the entire trilogy. But also it counts for a new movie because that was the premiere of uh, the third one, The World's End. Have you, have you seen those movies or not? Um, that doesn't sound familiar to me. Can you like explain what those are? So yeah, it was a, it was called the Cornetto trilogy because of this really random through line, uh, that the three films had in all of them. But so they're directed by Edgar Wright and they star Simon Pegg and, uh, Nick Frost. Nick Frost. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Now I know what talking about yeah it's Shaun of the dead um hot fuzz yes and, and at the world or, or the world's end yep gotcha wow that's so that's so weird that that's the name of the, that trilogy because <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a ice cream or or dessert or something yeah, yeah. It's a reference to one of their uh, freezer ice cream treats yes very random <laughs> Although the payoff to it in the third movie is great. Yeah. Does he see a rapper floating by or something? Yeah. Yeah. The first two films, they go out of their way to be like, do you want to go for a Cornetto? And then show them like eating it, whatever. And then the third movie, obviously they had dubbed it the Cornetto trilogy. And it doesn't come up until practically the last scene when a rapper just literally flies across the screen. And that's the only instance. That was a fun an experience too because a you got to see all three movies in the theater at the same time and they had like a short break in between each of them if i remember correctly yes because one of those breaks was when yes it broke that 
Batman would be played by Ben Affleck. I almost said Batfleck. But... <laughs> I was going to say, you found and out a Batfleck. <laughs> if, if I recall, I had the same reaction to that that I did when Robert Pattinson was named as Batman, and I was not pleased. Yeah. Um, but we know how the Ben Affleck one went, and it That's wasn't true. great. So yeah. there's still hope for Twilight. So, so. it's good. <laughs> Yes, but that was the that was the first film we all saw, and it was a good time. That sounds like a good time. I would love to be a fly on a wall then. Um, but I mean, off topic, I'm kind of looking forward to Robert Pattinson be Batman. So I am too. I'm a little optimistic. I'm a little optimistic. So I'm super pumped. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't I'm hurt st- that I got more into Batman in between these two eras. So part of it is just that this is the first time I've been invested in a, in a long time in the character. But also, I genuinely love uh, Matt Reeves' blockbuster effort so far with the Planet of the Apes movies. And um, I also have loved what Robert Pattinson's been doing on the side post-Twilight. Man, I watched the last uh, 45 minutes of War of the Planet of the Apes last weekend. Yeah. And still I am great. still vis- viscerally upset that that film did not win best visual effects for that year. It is really a crime. It really is. It really is. It is a really good movie. It's a really good performance by Woody Harrelson, too. Yeah, I'd agree with that, actually. I, I remember a lot of people, even the people who loved it, pretty much said that was the weak link. I'm like, no, he's one of the. Mm. I don't know. I think he adds to it. Yeah, I would agree. Mm. Good times. Well, that'll be uh, a fun episode on our next uh, Film Tank episode. It'll be 229. And uh, again, the four of us will plan to be here and uh, we'll be talking about Snowpiercer. Anna, as always, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so fun to hang out with you guys, even if it's virtually. Yeah. Well, it's not that it's... virtual because you're all currently here in this room in my heart. Aww. <laughs> I'm making the heart symbol to you and to both you guys, actually, right now. Me too. That's Aww. all I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So from Anna... Nick and myself, Alex, thank you very much for listening to us here at Film Tank. We'll be catching up with you next time.